All right. Thanks again for having me here. This is, uh, I'm a little more relaxed now. I've had a little bit of food. I've had a little chit-chat, and I realized that uh, you guys aren't wearing horns. But uh, anyway, a couple of things I just wanted to add, add to it when we're talking about sort of what needs to happen. And I, I think we have to get employers... Uh, uh, the, one of the critical factors is that the definition of success around health and safety is based on the, the lost time claim rate, uh, for workers' compensation and the, uh, the premium rates for employers. So, you know, it's like any other bottom-line-driven thing. If, 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 if you can save money and not... and uh, There's different ways to fix the problem, and I'll give you an example. Um, I was asked once to help out a company in Edmonton with their health and safety program, and, and the... Uh, oh, it was great. I did this, you know, worked with them for a couple of days. We identified all the problems, and I was, looked at all their WCB claims, and it was great, and... You know, wonderful, I made these great suggestions. And I uh, said, you know, if we work on this, 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 we'll, we'll reduce all those uh, accidents and we'll also reduce the long-term uh, uh, illness, the, the hazards, the threats to long-term illness. And it was great. And, they, and, and, and I'm a non work for a nonprofit, and I was willing to work quite cheaply, as we usually are in the nonprofit sector. But they said, we'll get back to you. And, and the vice president of blah, blah, or whatever he was, got... Give a couple of, couple of weeks, and he came back to me and said, "Well, it was a good idea, but you know what we've got instead for to deal with this is we're going to hire these guys over here, and they're they're not they're not going to really nothing's really going to change except the way that we handle our claims when people file them. We're going to make sure that they follow the rules really well, and we're going to tighten up on some of that stuff. And we think we can save more money that way than we can by changing the ventilation system in this dusty old place." or by slowing down a little bit of the machinery so that people weren't getting uh, the repetitive strain injuries on their arms and stuff. So that, uh, that was quite a lesson for me on uh, what, what drives uh, employers. And I don't blame them for that, except I do blame them. I, I, they buy into that system, right? And I think, back to my thing about having a conversation in the community, I don't think if we take people aside and say, let's not talk about your premiums for now. Let's talk about your neighbors. Let's talk about your parents. Let's talk about your kids and what's happening to them. And we break down that part first and say, look, we have a common goal here. Uh, let's deal with that. How can we deal with that? I don't think most people want to have their workforce go home sick at the end of the day. So let's hear, I'd like to hear from you guys now. <laughs> Hi, my name is uh, Knut Peterson. <clears throat> Kevin, I'd be interested to... Here are some suggestions from you uh, concerning the false assumption that when you're young, you're indestructible. Uh, I remember when I was in my early teens lifting 200-pound grain sacks around and all that kind of stuff. And, of course, I've paid for it uh, <clears throat> over the years. And uh, I just wonder if you have any concrete examples of things we might be able to... I'm sure the, the same thing holds true nowadays, that the young generation thinks they're pretty much indestructible. Okay, thanks. Um, my kids certainly think they're indestructible. If they work, I don't know. I can't get them to work, but that's a, motivation is another topic I think you should have up here. But we do, uh, we do work in the high schools an awful lot. So uh, when I talk about 
what I see for high school, for, for young workers, I think of that age, and we, we do a lot. We do theater pieces that travel the province, and, and, and we try to look, uh, teach them um, about hazards and about work in general. And I think the motivations uh, are one thing, because kids aren't necessarily motivated right now by the prospect of a long-term career. They, they, a lot of them will go into a job, it's a job, and they might be going after something else. I mean, we always want, went to jobs for the money, but you know, the, um, I think it's even more so now than before. Uh, one of the things that we've tried to approach for dealing with young workers, whether it's that question about being indestructible or whatever, is, is try to take the, uh, the catastrophe out of work if you want to have it. Um, most, a lot of programs are aimed at uh, worst-case scenario. If you do this, you are going to die. Full stop. If you don't wear your seatbelt, you will die. If you drink and drive, you will die. Um, I don't think they work for that reason, quite honestly. I don't think people can relate to that sort of thing when they're 18 or 17 or have no experience of that sort of thing happening. So what we've done as our approach is that we take the approach that you try to identify things that are likely to happen to them that they know through their experience uh, happen to them or happen to other people, and you work with that first. So you don't talk about losing your arm in the saw. You talk about a nick or maybe getting a, a dust, uh, something they can relate to. You don't talk, most people, you talk about coffee shop injuries, the burns, the slips, the, uh, the strains, the sexual harassment. You know, we, we, a lot of us, when we think about work, we think about uh, workplace health and safety, we think, we think male all the time. Well, you know what? Women work, duh. And uh, young women work an awful lot, and they work in very precarious situations. So when we talk to young women about health and safety, we talk about um, psych social and psychological safety and, we t and health, and we talk about sexual harassment on the job, which almost all of them feel uh, or experience at one point or another. And all of a sudden the messages and the rest of the conversation is about them and it's not at them. And I think that's a, for us, that's a good starting point and I think uh, we're finding some success with that. My name is Van Christou and thank you very much, Kevin, for bringing this uh, fascinating topic to us. Uh, it's something we don't think about very often, uh, even though we do hear once in a while uh, friends of ours who have uh, succumbed to some kind of a terrible accident uh, in the workplace. Uh, the thing that we talked about around our table is at a time now when globally we're living in, a, in an atmosphere that's really dangerous, uh, so much change is occurring that uh, we're subjected to all kinds of, of external uh, insults, uh, physical insults. Um, just buying a new car, you know, we step into it and we're surrounded by, by plastics that are, that are shooting out toxins uh, that, are, that we have no idea what it does to us. Uh, our food chain has been so altered uh, all over that we have no idea what pesticides, what herbicides, what other uh, chemicals got into it. So at a time when, uh, when the whole world is uh, so challenging to us, um, it's not surprising that uh, uh, employers are, are, not, are, are taking the bottom line, uh, the, the economic uh, income, over their, their, their uh, workers' uh, safety. 
But the question I'd like to ask you, don't you think that both in the workplace and all of us today, um, that the only answer is that we have to take the responsibility ourselves more for checking things out. Uh, we'll never know it all, but uh, not taking jobs that, uh, that might be uh, damaging. And uh, that way we can uh, maybe uh, put pressure on the employers to be a little more careful. Great. Uh, thanks for the comments. Those are really, uh, really interesting because of different levels. I want, I'll, I'll try to answer directly your, your, your last question because I think it is a part of it. It's whether or not we um, engage in finding out what's happening or possibly happening to us in the workplace or, uh, or further on down the line, how we act with that. I just did a workshop with some, some folks that work for grocery stores across the province and it's really interesting because most people are, are looking for someone to tell them what's wrong. And I think we've taken the power away from our own curiosity, if you want to have it. And we need to kind of grab that back and say, look. Um, but we, it's, it starts even before that. I think it starts with acknowledging what's happening to our bodies uh, in, the day, in the day or after the day of work or whatever we see. So trusting that there may be something wrong if we feel there's something wrong. That's what we try to teach people. And then going from there, I think... Um, I think people's power has been taken away from them so far at, at so many levels that we just don't believe ourselves anymore, whether it's our own health care or whether it's our own work or what have you. And so at the end of the day when you're coughing, um, you know, you, and 20% and of your, the people you're working with are coughing from the dust in the place or whatever, you go out of the room and you go, um, you almost deny your own symptoms, right? Um, until you start going back at it again and again and again. Um, I think it's it's the perfect place to start. We have to get engaged again in in identifying hazards. The um, the province uh, did one good thing this year when they passed the um, um, the, the new code, the Occupational Health and Safety Code. Uh, it changed the wording for hazardous workplace hazard assessments. Uh, before last year, you used to uh, the imp well, up until five years ago, the employer didn't only had to tell workers what was wrong on the job. Then we included them, uh, uh, employers now have to include uh, workers in the hazard assessments themselves. And uh, that is a huge step forward for, for us in this province, uh, something that hasn't happened in Alberta, but is most other provinces. And now the challenge for me as an educator in that area, but I think back to those knowing what's wrong in the workplace is teaching ourselves, and again, how to look, how to define the hazard, uh, in ways that isn't being defined by our employers or even necessarily by the law because a lot of the hazards we face aren't necessarily governed by the regulations and the code and things like that. So we have to take that on ourselves, I think. So thanks for the question. Uh, my name is uh, Greg McCaughey, and I'd like to stand up for some of the employers in the province anyway because I think we have an awful lot of very safety-conscious employers. And to understand in a complex health and safety uh, do. there's a huge number of issues that have got to be ad ad addressed and uh, the area I'd like to talk about is uh, the, the, I think we started about personal responsibilities. If you look at the WCB stats, my recall of that is 85% of all incidents kind of are started by an unsafe act of thing by a worker. Now, I don't want to blame the worker for that because it could be a loss, it could be a lack of training, it could be lack of equipment, it could be a lack of anything. But, I mean, the issue comes down to is that 
we have an awful lot of workers out there who will make mistakes on the job. In fact, there's no, no employee who won't make a mistake at some time or another. And unfortunately, these things end up on the statistical page. You make a lot of good points about the long-term effects of the health hazards that probably have been under under-recorded and underrated for some time, and we can do a much better job in that. But uh, uh, young workers, even if you tell them about the hazards, if they have no experience, they equate it to, it really means nothing to them. So, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of issues that have to be addressed in this area, but a very interesting talk nevertheless. Thank you. Thanks a lot. I'm glad you stepped forward on that because uh, so when, when I was asked to be here, they said, be controversial. It's okay. So... Let's just take that for a second. Uh, I, I hear that a lot, right? I even hear it from workers. They're the worst ones. They blame each other for, oh, you didn't do this, didn't that. The, the fundamental um, principles of health, workplace health and safety is that the weakest form of dealing with a hazard, the weakest place to deal with is, is at the worker. The science shows, everything shows that you do not stop by trying to fix worker behavior or by putting a hard hat on them or doing boots or any PPE, whatever. Workers are human beings. I think we can assume that, okay? Um, so the weakest form of controlling and dealing with a hazard is at the level of human beings because we are fallible, because we have all those things. When you start doing root cause analysis of of, of accidents or incidents in the job, you have to move up the food chain. You have to look at how is the job designed, how, what, what, how is the machinery protected if you're doing machinery. You have to look at all the way up what chemicals are being used, all those sorts of things. We know how to do a lot of things. We know how to design a lot of hazards out of the workplace so that it's not up to the worker. Um, it's not up to your behavior. We know people do not work perfectly 100% of the time. Some of us don't work well 80% of the time or even less. But that's the nature of us as people. So the challenge is that you can, you can train workers all you want, but there's an awful lot of jobs out there that have hazards built right into them because we haven't engineered them out. Case in point, grocery stores. You start looking at the number of claims for carpal tunnel syndrome or tendonitis in cashier's arms. Moving all that thousands of pounds of your food, my food, across them day after day after day. That takes a toll on someone, right? It's not the worker that's deciding how fast that comes and goes. No, those people are encouraged to go as quickly as they can because they're monitored on how many pieces go by them every hour, every day. Um, talk about, uh, you can talk about any industry you want, and I can tell you, if you actually put a little bit more money into it, you could probably engineer out almost all of the hazards, and you could certainly... Training in those things count, but they don't, you know, um, you can put the perfect worker in any given situation, and I can guarantee you at a certain point you're going to have an, an injury or a problem with that. Um, I don't know if that, if that answers your question. I think there are good employers out there that are doing the best they feel they can. I think we have to re-educate employers, and I think the motivation has to be the fact that they are employers in a community and that for every accident or incident or exposure or every disease that comes out of that place that isn't picked up by workers comp they're still paying part of it anyway as taxpayers but we could have a conversation about the mechanics of health and safety for a long time 
Hi, uh, Ian McKenna. Um, we haven't talked yet about uh, stress and burnout, and, uh, but I know you want to talk about that, so uh, hence I have to <laughs> <laughs> ask that question. And, um, uh, you know, looking at it in, in terms of workers' compensation, uh, as, as uh, I understand it, uh, workers' compensation doesn't fund uh, stress and burnout, in spite of the fact that probably, uh, I'm not sure of the stats, uh, that has a much bigger impact on people than the physical injuries, or at least the uh, same. So I wondered if you had any uh, words of wisdom as to how, uh, how we might deal with that. The stress, stress and burnout issues. Stress is one of those things that we know uh, can magnify a lot of other um, um, impacts on the human body, right? At a cellular level, we know that stress can cause, um, can amplify some of the stuff we're already dealing with. There's, likewise, when you talk about burnout, there's a whole bunch of factors that might go into that, including long hours and, and strain and stress. And it's, it's an interesting area of work, the job, the job uh, strain um, research and, and job stress research that's out there has come a long way in the last 20, 30 years. Um, there's a lot of relationship between uh, clarifying relationship between people's lack of control in the job and uh, and high demands and then stress that comes out of that sort of thing. So people use stress in different ways, but um, the workers' comp does not recognize stress unless it's uh, a, a, as a result of a traumatic incident. Uh, as I was pointing out, the lunch table, maybe someone you're robbed on uh, on the street and uh, or a bank teller who's robbed at gunpoint, they might have a claim that would be accepted by the workers' comp board for stress or a stress-related illness. But for most of us, it's it's uh, it's not likely to happen. And uh, so I, th I lump it in with a bunch of these other things like shift work and uh, and uh, stuff like that. That is, we're showing we can. It's easier to show the sort of the uh, collective effects of it than it is to get a, a specific. Uh, diagnosis and a pinpointed uh, um, cause and effect relationship between the workplace and the stress. So, but it's one of those things that we do know has an effect on people's health, and we, we're starting to get better at identifying where it comes from in the workplace. I know that's not a great answer, but that's kind of the state of the, the place now. I think everyone, know, everyone knows, it's back to, the, sort of the, back to the personal story again. I think we know anecdotally uh, what, what stress does to people. And, and it's a matter of linking all of that together in some fashion that we can put political uh, pressure on those who decide what are acceptable uh, work-related illnesses and what are not. Because that's really what that system's about, right? Workers' Comp is, is, is actually employer liability insurance, right? And my, the, one of the points I was going to make, as long as, we're, as long as they're using those cost issues as the yardstick of success. Employers define their health and safety success by lost time claim rates and the cost of premiums to themselves. So as long as we uh, have um, defined out of the equation all those things like stress and shift work and, and some of these illnesses, then those, and there's a lot of re ways to push those other things down, then many employers, and I'm sure you, you'd agree that many employers think they're doing a hell of a job because their premiums keep dropping and their uh, lost time claim rate drops. I could, uh, there's all kinds of evidence to show that the lost time claim rate is a horrible, a horrible statistic. I know, I know my uh, bio says I did a master's in sociology, and that was years ago. I used to think that was pretty good. 
back in the day, you know, a master's degree. My mom and dad thought it was great. But, you know, what it did tell me is that, at, at least at that level, I understand what good statistics are and what bad ones are. And I tell you, the statistics that, the, that we use as a society to measure the health and safety programs and success are completely out the window and should be just trashed. There's got to be better, better ways of, of determining how, how successful we are. Thanks, Kevin. I'm Bev Mundell-Atherstone. Um, I had a question or a comment, but you've uh, practically stolen my thunder with, uh, with your last comments. Thunder away. Let's hear you. <laughs> thunder away. <laughs> because, uh, um, of course, the numbers, um, the numbers that WCB is using, as you said, that, that uh, is reducing people's injuries and people's lifetime, lifetimes to a number without doing the proper stats. So that's, that's terrific. Um, I guess my concern is that WCB is a business. And as you mentioned, it's a insurance for employers, not employees. And as we know, insurance is so lucrative that all the banks are getting into that now too. So, uh, so I guess... Um, my concern was when you have an accountant like uh, Dave Carpenter, who is now the head of WCB, making a third of a million a year uh, in charge of it, then of course it's going to be reduced to stats, and very particular stats, as you've just outlined. So here's my question. Um, I heard recently on CBC that um, uh, in regard to workers' comp, in, in regard to people taking... Um, responsibility for their own jobs, that the government, the province, actually has a list of how well each business does in terms of safety for their workers. However, when asked whether they could release this list so that potential employees could look at the, the safety record of the businesses, they said, oh, no, we can't release it because um, it's, not, it's not complete. We don't really know. So I, my question is, um, what can we do to ensure that a list like this is released so that workers at least have a chance? Thanks. Um, yeah, I think the, uh, someone else mentioned the, the sort of workers, young workers picking and, and taking responsibility. And one of the concerns around the whole question of, of responsibility is how do you know who you're going to work for? Um, the, the individual employer statistics such as they are, with all that caveat about how WCB stats are arrived at, the, um, those individual statistics for individual employers are not released and they're not available to people to look at. And the Auditor General of Alberta um, just recently chastised the, uh, the uh, uh, province for not, uh, for, it's called for more transparency in that regard, right? And it's one of those tools then that we would be able to look at to see how much of a, how much truth and how much fiction is is there. So remember, I talked a bit about breaking down that barrier and the wall between work and 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 uh, and the rest of society, if you want to have it. And I think it'd be a marvelous tool to be able to look as you walk down the street in your town and look at each place and go, oh, this is their rate, such as it is. This is their accident rate. This is not. And I think for workers and for working people to be able to look at that and go, how is it that my claim doesn't show up? 
How is it my injury is not showing up on these numbers? How, how is it that this is so low? Um, those are the kind of things that would come with having more transparency around it. You'd be able to hold people a little bit more accountable. And uh, um, that's always a big cry, a hue and cry from, uh, you know, the Taxpayers Federation and others. Let's, uh, let's hear that from them on this sort of thing. I don't hear that, right? So I think as citizens, we have a right to know more about what's going on behind closed doors. Um, there's always this, this, this notion of privacy and it's like, well, come on, this is, this, is, this is stuff, you should be able to measure that the same way you look at someone's annual report or, or other, other ways of determining um, if you're interviewing an employer, uh, whether or not you want to work for them. My name is Tad Mitsui. Uh, my question may be irrelevant or stupid. If so, you don't have to answer. <laughs> Has to do with the religion. I raise the question because there are people like Pat Robertson who blame tsunami for uh, them being Muslims, 9-11 being the punishment of God to the queers in New York. Uh, what about religion? Uh, I ask this because it was very relevant when I was working in South Africa. There were many mine accidents. Many black miners got killed. And uh, religion moved in. And they said, it's God's punishment for being a pagan. Uh, God's punishment for being a not good Christian. Is this relevant? Uh, we live in a so-called Bible Belt in southern Alberta, and I just wondered if injuries in workplaces can be blamed for this kind of, I may be run out of town by using this word, stupid reasoning. Thank you. Are you asking if religion is to blame for injuries? Okay. Or non-religion. Non oh, well, you know, I, I, it's an, that's a, a question I would never have anticipated on my <laughs> drive here, okay? <laughs> so thank you. I, I, but, but, but here's an interesting piece, I think, and I think there's a, there's, there's a different way of... Uh, let me put a, a secular spin on that, if, you, if, if, if I can, for a moment. There's lots of reasons why people um, obey uh, authority. And we know one of the problems with blind obedience of authority is that you sometimes will do things that are uh, not in your best interests. And... And uh, for whatever reason, it might be a belief system, but it, it might also just be an authority system. I'm trying to get a, into this without offending anyone. So I, I'm not taking it as a, as a religious thing. I think my experience over the years is that there's lots of things that divide people up, and there's lots of things in, in a workplace, and there's lots of reasons why people adhere to the code of the, of the workplace. Some of them have to do with economics. Some of them have to do with... with um, uh, the way they're brought up to defer to authority and to trust authority, uh, wherever that authority comes from, and I'm, I'm not I'm not suggesting it's a, a religious authority in this case, but I think there's a there's in many cultures there's a, a, a respect for authority and a trust of authority 
and, and maybe a fear of authority that, that, that does play a part in health and safety, and it, it, it makes it hard for people to go against what they're feeling in, in their bodies as, as they, and in their minds as they encounter a difficult, dangerous situation. Uh, sometimes it's just that trust that how can, and we see this with kids all the time, young kids going to work, is that trust in the, uh, in the fact that someone must be looking out for them. Um, it's the first time in their lives that they're going, going to work where they don't know the system, but for the 10 or 12 years uh, they've been in school up to then, um, the system has sort of worked for them and, and kept them safe. So they trust when they go into a workplace that su- that same culture is there as well. And also they believe that if they just work hard and they follow things right, the good things will follow. And that's, we know from health and safe stuff that's blind uh, faith in the system is not a good thing because it 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 uh, takes away from your ability to look and see the hazards that might be there or to question the hazards that might be there. So, strange as your question may seem, I think there's a ring of truth in that, in that we are um, as long as we're trying to we we're I'm calling for you whether it's kids at work whether it's you guys in the community to take a critical eye at work and in your community, and when you walk down the street and you talk to your friends and you talk to families about, about what's hurting them or what's happened to them and you hear their stories about work, that you start to, to take that as a first step to uh, engage in that conversation about what are you going to do about it now. And talk to your politicians, if you, uh, talk to each other for the most part, and, 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 and engage in that conversation about what should change from a point of view of not necessarily having all the facts and figures, which I could have laid out lots of numbers for a year, but from the point of view that you know someone who is suffering or has suffered from one of these unexplained work-related illnesses, and uh, something should be done about it. Okay. Thank you very much, Kevin. That's... uh a good conclusion. So we'll see you all uh, next week as we learn to age well. So thank you very much.